Well, I have to tell you today, I don't know if I've ever mentioned, I, I grew up in, in Minnesota, and um, growing up there, it's known as the land of 10,000 lakes, and that's actually uh, an underestimate. There's closer to 20,000 lakes. I'm not sure why they, Minnesotans aren't much to brag. I guess I'm doing it right now, but we have a lot of lakes, and in the wintertime, what's great about that is you know, the travel time between communities actually goes down in the winter rather than up because you might think, oh, the snow, and it would mean you drive slower and more carefully. Well, actually, what changes, though, is, is the distance between two points is always a straight line, and in the wintertime, when the lakes freeze over, you've got roads that go right through the middle of the lake. So if you live on the other side of town and there's a lake, well, you just drive across it and well, Michigan people, you know how that is. You do it up here too. Uh, ice is a wonderful thing, and you can fish on it too. It, it's kind of an unfair advantage if you're a fish, quite frankly. And if, I love this kid on the, on the ice as if we needed any other reminders that it's cold outside today. But I remember as a kid, my, my brother-in-law, Danny, would take me ice fishing once in a while. And, and he would go and find the, the spot. He'd take his auger out there, he had a gas-powered auger, and he'd go out in the morning and, and go check all over different lakes to find a place where all the fish were biting like crazy. And then he'd come pick me up and I'd show up and, and, and I'd be there and I'd be pulling in sunfish all afternoon. And, and I thought, wow, fishing is really easy. And, and the thing is with ice fishing, you can look down and you can see when a fish is actually coming up to your line. You can look down there and see them. It's, it's really kind of unfair. Uh, again, how many of you have ice fished before? Yeah, it's kind of fun. And, um, and, and then I, I, in the summertime, Danny would take me fishing too. And same thing, he'd, he'd go out in the early morning hours and, and he'd find out where the fish were biting. Then he'd come pick me up and take me fishing and I'd just be pulling in fish. I'm like, this is easy and what's, uh, this is great. And I mean, those were some of my early remembrances of, of fishing. I, I've never really been much of a fisherman, but I know that there's some excitement involved in pulling in a big fish. When that moment comes, uh, I, I was getting ready for this weekend and, and actually connecting with the uh, uh, chairman of our congregation, Dave Halverson, and, and I said, looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. He says, well, actually, I won't be there uh, this weekend. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, going on a trip. I said, where are you going? He says, well, I'm, I'm going ice fishing. I'm hoping this happens again. And he sent me a text with this picture on it, um, which just goes to say um, when you send your pastor a text with a picture, you never know where it's going to show up. So um, there it is, and that's, that's what he's doing this morning, and hopefully catching more of those. And there's something exciting about catching fish. I, I remember learning this too, is when you catch a fish and, and you hold it up for a picture, there's kind of a rule if you're a fisherman, you know this. You, you often will see this in, in pictures of fish that have been caught is the arms are rarely like against the body like this. Usually they're out like this. And, and there's a reason for that. Do you know why? It looks bigger. The idea is you get the picture, the, the fish further away from the person and, and it, it makes the fish look larger on the photo. That's kind of a little trick of making the fish bigger. And it, it kind of goes along with a lot of fishermen who tell stories about the the one that, that got away, right? And, and over time, those fish get larger and larger and larger and larger. That's kind of the, the, the folklore of fish stories is they get better with time. And, and the thing is, is 
when it comes to God and, and his ability to tell stories, and the fact that he tells us fish stories too, a lot of people out there think that, that God's in the business of exaggerating. And, and that's certainly what we see in the Bible can't be quite the way it happened is, you know, through enough time and people passing on the story. Well, I mean, after all, these are just stories, aren't they? And, and I want to pause today before we, we get into some of the fish stories of Scripture to remind you that God can do anything. God is all-powerful. God can do miraculous things. And it shouldn't surprise us when we read events in the Bible that go and boggle our mind, like, how in the world did that happen? And the answer is because we got an amazing God. And our God doesn't embellish. Our God tells truth. And our God is in the business of transforming lives through the power of that truth and even through the miraculous events that get God's people's attention to realize who He is and what He can do to change hearts and transform lives. One of those great fish stories of truth is the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Now we picked up the story in our reading today in chapter 2 of Jonah, but chapter 1 tells us that here's Jonah, the, the son of a Mittai, and, and maybe it's been a long time since you read the book of Jonah. I'm going to encourage you. It's not very long. Go home this afternoon or tonight before you go to bed. Read the whole book of Jonah. It is awesome. It, and to realize what God is doing in Jonah's life. He calls Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and go tell them about me. And Jonah doesn't want to do that. There's a reason for it, and it's kind of like this. Um, are you a, a Michigan fan? Anybody? Well, it'd be kind of like this. God telling you, Michigan fan, I want you to go to Ohio State's campus and go tell people how much God loves them. And, and you would say, I'm not going to do that. I'm kidding. But you get it. Or are you going to go tell them and go to Ohio State and you're going to say, wow, you guys are awesome. You probably wouldn't do that if you're a Michigan fan. And the reality is, is God is asking Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell them that God is calling them. And Jonah's like, Nineveh? Nobody likes people from Nineveh. We hate people from Nineveh. We despise people from Nineveh. They're as ungodly as they get. I'm not wasting my time. He wants nothing to do with that. And as a result, Jonah, rather than going toward Nineveh, goes toward Tarshish, which is exactly the opposite direction. And Jonah chapter 1 even says that Jonah ran from God. And he runs, and in his running, he gets, pays the fare to get on a ferry boat uh, on his way to Tarshish, and, and he's taking a nap down in the hull of the ship when this terrible storm whips up, and, and all the crew and all the others on the boat are realizing God is pouring out his wrath, or something is going wrong, and someone on the boat has done something wrong, and, and these are not believers in Yahweh, they, they're calling out to their gods, lowercase gods, trying to figure out what's going on, because they are fearing they're going to die. But they know something's not right. And they, they realize also somebody's missing and somebody goes and wakes Jonah up like, why are you sleeping? Don't you realize we're going to die here? And, and then they ask him, who are you? Where are you from? And, and then they ask this question, what have you done? Because they figure there's something wrong. That such an, a violent event is happening. And it's amazing, Jonah realizes it's him. 
He says, well, I'm, I'm running from God. I, I'm a, and, and it's interesting, even in the midst of this story, Jonah realizes who he is. He says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a, I'm a God worshiper, Yahweh worshiper, the one true God. And, and he says, just throw me overboard. It's my fault. He realizes God has his attention now. And he says, throw me overboard. And you know, there's a lot of dispute and debate among scholars. Was Jonah wanting to be thrown overboard because he knew God would be powerful enough to bring about a miracle? Or was Jonah so much in despair in his sin of running from God that he just wanted to end it all in despair? Uh, the answer is we don't know exactly. We just know that they threw him overboard. And an amazing thing happens. The, the storm calms and, and something else happens as a result. Those on the, the deck of the ship, they are, they're, they're amazed at, at Jonah's God and they begin to worship Yahweh. It says that they worshiped him in response to this incredible event. And I, I'm blown away by that to realize even in the brokenness and despair of God's people, that God can do whatever he wants to lead people closer to him. And here's Jonah floating in the, the water and, and he gets swallowed by a great fish. And this is often where people say, come on, how could this possibly happen? You know what? God can do whatever he wants. If he made the fish, he made the oceans, he made the universe, I have no problem with him making a fish big enough to swallow up Jonah and, and find a way for him to survive for three days and three nights in this belly of this fish. And we have a front row view of what that was like for Jonah. And that's chapter two. And this was in our reading today. And notice what Jonah says. He says, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He's, he prayed this. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Jonah realizes what he deserves according to his sin, according to his rebellion, according to his walking away, running away from God. He, he gets it. He's like, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will still look again toward your holy temple. You hear the hope there? The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Even seaweed was wrapped around my head. Have you ever had seaweed on your face? It's one of the worst experiences in this world. One of. There's something about that feeling of seaweed on skin. And he says, it was wrapped around my head. As it probably was inside the belly of the fish. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, you and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. As Jonah had been doing. He'd been running away in the idolization of his ideals, what he wanted. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And after his prayer, it says, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. 
There's an image for you, right? You ever been in the belly of that fish? I'd like to suggest I bet you have. You know, the amazing thing is, is that God can often work through the events of our lives. It doesn't always, it doesn't mean just because something bad happens that God is putting judgment on us. That's not where I'm going with this. My point is, is God loves us enough at times to allow bad things to happen in our lives simply to get our attention. Maybe it comes by way of a DUI for you. Maybe it comes by way of a loss of a job. Maybe it comes by way of a a relationship that, that explodes and falls apart. Maybe it comes in some other form where God gets our attention to remind us if we've been in hard-hearted and hard-headed in our approach, in our relationship with him, and we're running away from his calling and his will in our life, it shouldn't surprise us if we find ourselves in the belly of a fish. Because God loves us that much. To give us an opportunity to reconsider, to give us an opportunity to ponder the significance of our relationship with him. He loves you enough to allow your life to fall apart. Sounds silly, sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. He loves you that much. And maybe you're in the midst of the belly of the fish right now. What an opportunity God has given you on that holy ground to call out to him in your despair to say, Lord, help me. May I yet still praise you, my Lord and my God. And he does for Jonah. Jonah now turns back toward Nineveh as he's now finding himself on the shoreline. And a crazy thing, God leads Jonah there and, and he, he pronounces God's truth over the people of Nineveh, 120,000 people, huge, huge city. And a crazy thing happens. We find out that they instantly, immediately repent and turn to God. In the New Testament, Jesus would actually lift up the people of Nineveh as people who heard the word of God and turned. And God had his way in their lives. He lifts them up as an example of this is what it looks like when God has his way in someone's life. Jesus also said that People look for signs in these wicked times. He says, here's what they'll get. They'll get the sign of Jonah. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, I think we get a glimpse of it in the New Testament as we turn to another fish story that God's word tells us. Uh, But to set that up, I want to put this in perspective. Um, Some years ago, when I first moved here to Rochester, Rochester Hills, um, my family, we were on vacation that summer, and my brother-in-law, not Danny, but brother-in-law on my other side of my family, and Shane's side of the family, AJ uh, is a big-time fisherman, fly fisherman, also loves going deep water, salmon fishing uh, on a friend of his that has a boat uh, out of Manistee. And, and uh, that summer, AJ said, do you want to go fishing? I said, well, I'm not much of a fisherman, but yeah, I'll try it. I've never done that before. And, and he says, here's the thing, you're going to have to get up at 3 a.m. like, What? 3 a.m.? Like, what for? He's like, it, it just takes a while to get out there where we're going to go fishing. He's like, um, it's worth it. I said, are you sure? <laughs> and we get up, it's dark, it's cold, though it's summer. I mean, it's, it's the middle of the night. We're driving down to the dock, and there's, there's nobody on the roads. We get down there and get in this boat, and I'm thinking, what have I signed up for? It's, it's in the middle of the night, and, 
and we get in this boat, and, we're, and it's, the breezes off the lake, off of Lake Michigan are cold. We're traveling out. We, I think we drove about two hours out into the middle of the lake, and like, is it really worth it? I mean, are you kidding me? And, and then Andy, uh, the owner of the boat, he's like, well, come here. I want you to see something. The sun was coming up, and, and they started dropping the lines in, and, but before they did, he said, see this? And he showed me this, this sonar radar thing on his dashboard. And, and I said, what is that? And he said, well, notice how you can see that, that line across the bottom. He says, that's actually the, the depth of the water below us. That's the bottom of the lake. And, and he says, you, you see those little clusters? And I said, well, what, what's that? He says, those are fish. I'm like, come on. He's like, yeah, those, those are fish. I'm like, so you're telling me on your computer screen here, you know where the fish are? He's like, yeah, it's pretty neat. He says, that helps us determine at what depth to uh, to uh, cast our lines, and there's counterweights and a com- complicated thing, but they had like five or six different uh, poles off the back of the boat as we're trolling along, and he's showing me, see, here's some fish. We're going to uh, go over them right now. And all of a sudden, the, the, the reels start shh, and I, they're like, all right, they're on there. And, and what they kept doing then, because they'd been fishing for the whole week, they kept passing me any rod that had a fish on it. They'd give it to me. And, and I, I'm like pulling these things in and my arms are hurting so badly. I'm thinking, this is not that much fun. It's cool, a great experience, but it's a lot of work. And, and, and the point came where I just like, enough's enough. I don't know how many I, I reeled in, but here's a picture of one of them. Now this, uh, it's not all in the picture there, but this was uh, 10 feet long and it weighed five, 500 pounds. It was, it was a very large salmon. I'm kidding, it wasn't. That big, but it was big, biggest fish I'd ever caught, and what an experience. But realizing that you could actually see fish under the water by way of this, this radar, sonar thing, and, and that's what I love about the story we read now in, in the Gospel of Luke, that really actually has some interesting parallels, if you ask me, to Jonah's story. Because here you have Jesus... Uh, on the shoreline, he's teaching, he's preaching to the people. Uh, the crowds are coming in, and, and he asks the fishermen there, hey, can you take me out into the water a little bit? And so you've got this floating pulpit, as it were. Jesus continues to preach from the boats. And, and finally, after a time, he, he says to Simon, Simon Peter, says, I, why don't we go out a little bit and, and let's, let's cast the nets? And, you know, Jesus is a carpenter growing up in a household like that, and what does he know about fishing, and especially when you're, you're hanging around guys that are professional fishermen, Peter chimes in, he says, Lord, we, uh, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught a thing, and, and you, can, you can sense, there's places in scripture where you can read through the lines, there's heavy sarcasm, uh, I believe this is one of those moments where Peter says, yeah, but nonetheless, whatever you say, Lord, if, if you want to go fishing and find out the hard way there aren't any fish today, we can do that, and uh, it's going to be a waste of our time is, in essence, what seems to be going on here, and and so uh, they, they throw the nets down and, and find out that what happens next, oh man, as, as, as after he'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, some years ago, it was discovered um, they were on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee underneath a whole bunch of mud. Some archaeologists discovered uh, a boat um, that had been preserved all these years, 2,000 years, a first century fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee, much like what they would have been like. And this 
It's a rather large wooden boat, and the thought of what it would take for one of these things to be at the point of sinking starts to put it in perspective of how many fish we're talking about here. Clearly, the DNR was nowhere to be found that day. They were way over limit, and and to see this thing starting to sink, and the reality of, are you kidding me? We hadn't caught anything all night, and, and Jesus just says, hey, put the nets down, and they're catching all these fish. Like, what is going on here? And here's what Peter's revelation is. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Seems like a strange response, don't you think? I mean, once you think, here's Peter going like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. No, that's not his response. He's like, go away from me, Lord, as he falls to his knees in despair. For I'm a sinful man. You know, fish finding radar and technology obviously is not a new thing. Because Jesus already possessed it. And not by way of a computer screen or a little radar on the dashboard. No, Jesus says being God knows where the fish are. But what Peter comes to realize, if Jesus knows what's under the water, in the surface of that water, he also knows what's under the surface of our lives, in Peter's life. Peter realizes Jesus knows him. He knows his dark secrets. He knows how ugly his life is, his thought life. He, he knows his sin. He knows everything. And Peter has that moment of revelation of brokenness. I'm a sinful man in the presence of Almighty God. And I would suggest to you that is a holy place to realize that. Because God does some of his finest work in those moments. Whether in the belly of a fish or in the midst of a boat that's filled with fish where God is showing he knows us. And he loves us. Get away from me, Lord? No. <laughs> As Jesus reminds us, so don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, we're going to go on a different fishing adventure. And it's going to involve not fish like these. It's going to involve reaching people where they are with the love of God. Jesus would say this. He said, you know, I, I give you the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so it'll be with the Son of Man. And Jesus shows them how real that comes to be when he goes to the grave for them. And the sign of the resurrection that changes everything, that later when they have another fishing adventure and the story that plays out at the end of John's gospel and there the disciples are, the word is getting out, Jesus is alive and, and, and they're out in the boat and, and this man calls from the shore and they don't know who it is but they put the nets in and, and the catch of fish again is miraculous. So much so that Peter, cut to the heart, realizing it's Jesus, jumps in the water and he hightails it like Michael Phelps as fast as he can to be near Jesus. Not get away from me, Lord, but I want to be close to you as a God of love and grace and a God of calling in my life. Oh, I love fish stories. You know, our God calls us to be about fishing too, you know. And I think sometimes what stops us is we think, well, that, that's really not our thing. You know, it's amazing. We can get up at 3 a.m. to go fish for, for slimy creatures, and yet the thought of sharing the love of Jesus just seems so unappealing to us. But maybe our mindset on what that's like and what that means is 
just out of, well, out of whack and maybe out of kilter here. You know, I just think about it, you know, why, why would we pull a fish out of the water and, and that, that makes that fish miserable, but I think we got it out of, out of line here is, you know, we live in this world as people who are just longing, longing for God. And as those who have been caught by the love and the grace through the word of God and the promise of God and the baptism of God that washes us and releases us into a freedom and a celebration of life and forgiveness, that's living life to the full. And we're surrounded by people every day that don't know that. And it's not like they're swimming around in this world happy. No, they're, they're miserable. Have you ever caught a fish and seen it in the bottom of a boat just flipping around, flapping around, the, the gills just gasping, trying to find happiness and, and find joy? And it's like, well, how do you make that fish happy that's in the bottom of the boat on a hot summer day, miserable? Do you cover that fish with a whole bunch of money and cash and say, now you're happy fish, it doesn't work. That's why so many people, maybe they have everything you could ever want, it would seem, and yet they're miserable because they're gasping for God. How do you make them happy? Dress them up in nice clothes? No, a fish in nice clothes isn't going to be any happier if it's still flapping around in the bottom of a boat. They're longing for is to be set free. And it's what God does in the lives of his people when we come to know him in a relationship with him. Our hearts are longing for eternity and it's in Jesus and that relationship with him. It's a catch and release kind of thing where we're releasing those people we meet into the love of Jesus, what they were made for, what they were created for. And it's a story worth telling because it changes lives. And it's a story God's equipped us by a spirit to tell again and again, because it's your story, and it's my story, which is ultimately his story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love fish stories, and we thank you for the stories you tell us that are true, that are life-changing, that really happen, and they're still happening today. As the miracle of faith has its way in the lives of people, through your word and through your promises and through the ongoing fishing adventure of your people as we share this story, it changes lives. So set more and more free, we pray, Jesus, through our witness. Open our eyes, open our hearts through Jonah moments and Peter moments to realize our brokenness, but in that holy place to set us free with joy by your power and your leading and your calling to go where you lead us. Lead us to fish, and may we tell the story more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray, now and always. Amen.